Good morning, Hill City. Good morning. You guys are the real, you're the true believers here in the rain. I'm Nicole, so glad you guys are with us today. What a beautiful worship set we've had to enjoy today. If you're new with us, we want you to know that we're just really glad that you're here. We're really hoping that you feel welcome here. This is a place where you can find life and you can find friends and you can find Jesus. That's what we're about here today. So you might be wondering about the hot tub in the middle of the room. We don't always have a hot tub here at Hill City, but when we do, it's because we're having baptisms later today. So um, you're not gonna see those in this service throughout the next service. Feel free to hang out and cheer on our baptisms. We really do believe in the transforming power of Jesus Christ. And we celebrate that through baptisms and through worship together. So if you're with us, wherever you are in your faith journey, we just want you to know that's what we're about. And we hope that you will come along on that journey with us as well. So we're gonna be in scripture today. We're gonna be telling a story that I actually am like super excited to share with you guys. It's a passage I've really wanted to preach on. I've never preached on it before. So I'm looking forward to that today. We're in a series called Something Happened. And in some ways, John said this last week, we're sort of like giving you Easter sermons for like several weeks after Easter. We're talking about what happens when people encounter the risen Christ and what that means for our own lives. And I don't know how you guys feel about surprises. The story we're gonna hear this morning has like a plot twist. It has a surprise. I don't know how you guys are with surprises. And I'm telling you right now, I am not going to give any spoilers to what I'm about to share with you. You can tell your neighbor if you know the spoilers here. But we love plot twists. We do them all the time in in stories, in movies, in books. Um, I know my daughter, when she reads murder mystery, she doesn't like to read a mystery without reading the last chapter. She just likes to know what happened. So there is no surprise. And then she can read back. But a lot of us, when we experience, oh gosh, that was... Very, very aggressive. I'm sorry, guys. She's young. It's okay. Um, (laughs) But a lot of us love surprises. A lot of us are cool with them, and they're really, really memorable when they happen, when there's a plot twist we didn't expect. So let's let's review a couple of, like, the main ones. Here's the first one I want to show you guys. I don't know if you're familiar with this one. I'm not going to tell you, in case you don't know, but I would focus your energy in this direction right here. You You can tell your friend if you remember the plot twist from this movie, even though it's that old. I'm still not going to tell you. How about this one? This is a little bit more recent. How about this? This, 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 I'm not going to say anything. It's just, that's an important piece, right? Like this is just, things happen in the movies that we aren't expecting. This is the one that's most memorable for me from like my young adulthood right here. This is important, right? I know. I know. See, I didn't, Y'all can talk about these later. I'm not, I'm not here to do that. Listen, I did that one time at a sixth grade Bible study. It was near Christmas. I'm not going to say anything more about it. I was traumatized by what I did on that day. I will never, ever give a spoiler ever again, no matter how much I think people would already know about those things. So anyway, let me talk about this. The most satisfying surprises get their power from giving us a fresh, better way of making sense of material that came before. The most satisfying surprises are when we're able to look back and see material in a fresh and better way. But researchers study, why is it that we don't do this? Why is it that we we find out the plot twist? We're like, oh my gosh, I should have known that all along. There's a couple of things that are going on inside of us. The first one is this confirmation bias. This is a tendency to seek information that confirms what you already believe. And you guys see this all the time in our news cycles and all of your social media feeds are designed to do this. They're designed to confirm what you yourself already believe. And so we get ourselves on a track where we're already thinking that and we can miss other pieces of information as things change because we're so sort of in this lens of a confirmation bias. Here's another one, it's called anchoring. 
Anchoring is a tendency to lean too heavily on the first piece of information you hear. And so that you don't hear anything else that happens after this. Ever anchor with your sports team? You're like, they won the first game. Like we're headed to the championship. And then it's like this, but you're like, but they won that first game. It was so great. Cause we anchor information and we try to like see that as the reality of what is gonna happen as we predict what's coming next. Availability bias. This is the tendency to believe that things that spring readily to mind are more plausible than things that don't spring readily to mind. So we're actually able to sort of in our mind, we're putting together a reality. And in this reality, due to these biases, we really think something is going a certain way. And that's when we find ourselves surprised when it doesn't. And the story of faith, the idea of even having faith, having faith in anything, but particularly for us having faith in Jesus is being able to be open to a surprise. It's being able to be open to the idea that God can be doing something in our life, that God is working in our life, where we come to a point and say, oh, now it all makes sense. Now these things I've experienced make sense. And it's such a human condition to do this thing, to actually follow the story one direction, that we misinterpret all of this information along the way. And we're gonna see that happen in our story today. And I wanna encourage you as I, I'm actually just gonna read the whole story to you first and then we'll kind of walk through a couple of different pieces of it. But I just wanna encourage you as I read this story to jump into the story as it's happening, okay? So the story's gonna be in Luke chapter 24. If you wanna read it in your own scripture, you wanna read it on your phone. And in Luke chapter 24, Jesus has just risen. And all of this is happening on the same day, okay? So when we pick up our context, it's gonna start with on the same day. So this is the same day that the tomb has been found empty. This is the same day that the angels have appeared to women to say that Jesus has risen. This is the same day that people like Peter and John are running to the tomb wondering what's happened. And then we pick up the story with a couple of maybe supporting characters in the cast, guys that we don't know as well, but they appear here and only here in scripture. And these two guys are disciples. Most people think they were probably in the crowd that followed Jesus. They weren't in the close circle, but it says in scripture that there was like 70 more who were commissioned into ministry when Jesus was walking on earth. So this is probably who these two guys are. They've been close to the action, but we don't necessarily know their names. Anytime for me, this is just like a person personal interpretation, but anytime we don't know people's names in scripture, I feel like that's even more of an invitation to find ourselves there. It's kind of like, hey, this is just a regular guy. Just like you're a regular guy, I'm a regular girl. These are just regular people who are experiencing this reality as it unfolds. So, okay, enough context. You ready? Luke chapter 24. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. So they're traveling along the road. They're talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now this happens sometimes as we experience the resurrected Jesus. This is a rabbit trail that we're not gonna take, but there seems to be some new realities to a resurrected body. Jesus still eats food. He still allows people to touch him in his resurrected form, but he also does other things like appears all of a sudden, walks and comes through doors. He is able to keep himself from people knowing him. He really is like supernatural Jesus at this point. So they don't know that it's him walking with them. And no surprise, who would think that a person they had just seen crucified would be walking with them? And so he says to them, what are you guys discussing as you walk along? 
And I love this. They're walking. Jesus comes up and says, what are you guys talking about? And they stand still. Like they can't keep walking. And it says their faces were downcast. And one of them named Cleopas asks him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, Jesus says. About Jesus of Nazareth, they reply. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning and they didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And this is my favorite part, verse 33. Remember, it's dark. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. They were like, put our shoes back on. We're gonna run back the seven miles. They run back to where they were and they find the 11 and everyone assembled together. And they say, it is true. The Lord has risen and he has appeared to Simon. And the two of them told what had happened and how Jesus was recognized when he broke bread. Okay, so here's what I wanna do with this story. I wanna talk about three parts of the story. I wanna talk about what the disciples got wrong. I wanna talk about what they got right, and I wanna talk about what that means for us. So let's start with what they got wrong. I love in the message version, especially that moment, remember when they're walking, and Jesus just sort of humbly asks them, what were you guys talking about? And they have to stop walking, and they look at him, and it says their faces were downcast. I love what it says in the message. They just stood there, long-faced, like they had lost their best friend. So when we're hearing the story, their, their faces are etched with disappointment. They believe everything that happened, they've sort of had an understanding now. They are interpreting. We get to actually hear them interpret the events as they understand them. Because Jesus did not reveal himself, because he didn't come like in glory where they could be like, oh my gosh, he's alive. Because he humbly walked with them in the journey and said, what is it that you guys are talking about? We actually get to hear their interpretation of the events. They were surprised and sad. They were disappointed. And we hear them give us their bias, their confirmation bias, their availability bias, their anchoring. They anchor their story on Jesus is dead. And then they reinterpret all the events they've experienced. You hear it all in the past tense. They say he was a prophet. He wasn't a Messiah now. He was a prophet. He was powerful in the things he said. Ever heard people talk about Jesus is a great teacher. 
It's very comfortable to believe that Jesus is a great teacher. Maybe Jesus is even a prophet. And so they're like, well, it turns out he was a prophet. And then they say, it turns out he was supposed to redeem Israel. It, it, it turns out he, he was supposed to be here with us, but he's not. And even though we've got this one piece of information that doesn't fit our story, which is the outside evidence that women have seen the tomb empty, it's so disappointing what they're experiencing. And perhaps the saddest part of their little monologue is we had hoped. They actually say, we had hoped he was the Messiah who would redeem Israel. Have you ever hoped for something, like really, really hoped for something? When I was in middle school, I really wanted this jean jacket. It was this guest jean jacket. I still remember to this day how badly I wanted this designer guest jean jacket. I saved all my babysitting money so I could get this jean jacket. I was so excited. Why did I want a jean jacket? Yes, it was cool. Yes, I would still wear it if I had it today. These are both true. However, the reason I wanted the guest jean jacket was because of what it represented, right? Why do we want our teams to win? Why are we like, oh my gosh, my team's gonna win? Why do we wanna get a yes to that when we ask out a guy or a girl on a date? What is all that about when we have hope? Because we have hope about things changing for the better. Hope is an energy that overtakes us because we're not satisfied with what is and all of us as human beings have been wired with desire. We've been wired for desires for truth, for beauty, for goodness, for love. And if that beauty or goodness or we think it's gonna come in love is in the form of a jean jacket or in the form of our team's winning, we put our hope in something because we're not satisfied with what is and we believe that something more can be there, which is why one of the saddest things to hear a human being say is we had hoped. And if you've ever been through having a hope in something or someone and then having that hope be disappointed, you know that feeling of how sad it is, the opposite of hope is despair. And despair is this resigned acceptance that things are the way they are and they can't change. I actually think that the greatest enemy of our future is despair. It's the resigned acceptance that your life is just as it will be. It cannot be any different. It's the resigned acceptance that our communities can't be different, our neighbors can't be different, our political arena can't be different. It's just, we just have to accept it for how it is. And these guys stand there, they can't even keep walking because they had hope in something more and they believe that it's been completely dashed. They were wrong about what would happen. But as the story plays out, because Jesus doesn't reveal himself, because he is patient, because he allows it to play out, he actually gets to hear their real desire. And they really had a desire for a Messiah, for a savior. What they had really hoped for is what they had heard Jesus promise, that there really was someone coming to save them. And this is where the story, of course, turns, right? Because they get something right in the midst of this. They tell Jesus the story and he says, guys, do you not know what it said about the Messiah? Can you imagine getting to walk with them however many more miles were left, three or four miles, while Jesus walks through the Old Testament, the prophets, the wisdom literature, and says, don't you see all of these things that you knew? And he just blasts apart their biases. 
And he's like, remember what it said about the Messiah having to suffer. Remember what it said about the one who would redeem you. Remember what it said, and he walked through that. Oh, how I wish I could have been on that walk to hear the things that Jesus said to them that opened their minds and opened their hearts to what the story was actually all about. But we can't walk with them, but we have something just as good because we have the word of God. We have it written down. We have the things that Jesus shared with them as they walked. So what did they get right? They didn't get a lot right, but they got, they got really important things right. Really important things. Because when Jesus finishes, he actually, he's like, I'm gonna, just gonna go on. He sort of says, I'm gonna go along. And they're like, no, 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 like, come stay with us. Come be with us. They still don't know who this guy is, but this guy is revealing things to them and they are, they are open and they're curious and they're willing to be interrupted. They are interruptible. They want to seek and they want to stay near the truth, even though they can't quite understand what that whole truth is right now. And so they urge Jesus to come in and be with them. And so he comes in with them. I really think that there is a tendency for us to believe that for those of us who are in this building, we are interested in spiritual things. But those of you people out there in your world, your coworkers, friends at school, all these other people that you know, they just, they just aren't interested. And I found that my experience with people is that actually I think people are pretty interested in spiritual things. They're pretty interested in truth and goodness and beauty. And yet, some of them have been really hurt by the church or they experience Christians in a really bad way. They've got these feelings and these beliefs about how the world works. But anyone who has feelings and beliefs like that is not a person who is living in despair, amen? Because despair is what creates an acceptance for just allowing things to stay as they are. And one of the most beautiful human conditions is our relentless desire for hope that we would keep on hoping and that we would keep on seeking. Just two days ago, I got a message from someone from like back in Dave's high school days. And this guy writes me an email and he's like, hey, I want you to know I am not religious at all. We're raising our kids this way. I'm from this faith. My wife's from this faith. We're not religious at all. But I just want you to know, I really, I really am like grateful for the things that you share on social media. And, and I'm like, what's going on there? Is it possible that it's not because people are not interested, but that we as believers, the people in this room, that, the, that God is saying, like, are your hearts burning for me in a way that you have eyes to see this, this desire that human beings have for the things of Jesus? And are you willing to be unoffendable about the things that they might say? About politics, about faith, about atheism, about their beliefs, so that you can be a person who is near them. The disciples got a lot of things wrong, but what they got right was they were curious, they were interruptible, they wanted to seek and stay near the truth. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me if you seek me with your whole heart. If you seek me with your whole heart implies a journey. It implies that we're walking through something. And we see here that Jesus, even with his disciples, is very patient with the journey. He's very willing for it to play out. He's willing for them to be sad and disappointed. He's willing to ask the questions. Are you willing to be gentle and patient with yourself on your journey as well as the people you love? Because Jesus sure seems to be comfortable with the journey. Because if we seek him, we will find him if we seek him with our whole heart. 
So Jesus comes in with them. They still don't know who he is. They start eating. And then it says that he was at the table with them. He took bread. He gave thanks. He broke it. And he began to give it to them. Does that sound familiar to you guys? Those of you who've been in church before, sounds familiar. We hear this refrain repeated, so we're gonna look at that. Can we just geek out together on the Bible for just a minute? I wanna just take us one, one important theological rabbit trail, which is the question we should always ask in scripture is like, why these details? Why this moment? Because it's in this moment that they recognize who Jesus is. He reveals himself to them as he breaks the bread. So let's, let's stay with me. We're gonna go a few places, okay? Why is this the moment that Jesus reveals himself? So bread is super important in scripture. Bread represents food. Food is an essential for living. And there is a ton of metaphor and sort of living pictures given to us about bread. Just earlier in the book of Luke, a couple chapters back, we see that when Jesus was with his disciples right before he went to the cross, it's the Passover meal. They're up in a room together. They're eating together. This is the the passage we talk about when we talk about communion. And Jesus breaks bread with them. It says this in Luke chapter 22. The hour had come and he said, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And it says, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. So just four days ago, before Jesus died, he said, I will not eat of this bread again until it is found in its kingdom fulfillment. And here he is with these two guys breaking bread again. If you go back further in the book of Luke, you see that Jesus also performs miracles with bread. There's many people who need to be fed. This is in Luke chapter nine. And it says that the the disciples had nothing to give. And they're like, how are we gonna feed all these people? And Jesus is like, all right, what do you got? What do you have to work with? I love, Jesus always meets us with just the next step. Like very, very, very practical. And he's like, guys, what do you have? They're like, well, we got these little tiny loaves of bread and these baby fish. And it says that Jesus took the bread and broke it. Same sort of experience. He broke it, he gave thanks. When he broke it and gave thanks, he's able to feed all the people there. They all ate and were satisfied. The disciples picked up all of this extra leftovers. So why is this so significant? If we zoom out past Luke and we zoom all the way out, because remember Jesus zooms all the way out with his disciples. If we zoom all the way out, Bread is a very important part of the Old Testament story too. It's God's way of showing his power to provide for his people. If you go all the way back to the book of Exodus, which is at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis and then Exodus, Exodus is the story of God's people being led out of captivity and into a kingdom where he, he sort of sets up his kingdom. This is a shadow of what's to come for us as believers today. We also are led out of captivity and called into a kingdom. But we have this story from Exodus that tells us that story of the Israelites. And one of the things that God does as a miracle for them is he provides bread for them to eat. He provides manna in the desert. Every single day, more manna would fall and it would be their bread. It was their provision for all 40 years when they wandered in the desert. It is a sign of God's divinity, his power. He can overcome nature. He can overcome what we can see with our eyes, the things that we would believe with our eyes. God overcomes and says, I myself can provide for you. I am the maker of heaven and earth. I am the maker of bread. I will give you bread. And so when Moses is able to give what God brings to them, it says in scripture over and over again about Jesus, one greater than Moses is here. 
Moses could ask God for bread, God provided bread. But Jesus himself provides bread from himself. There's another place in scripture in 2 Kings, a little verse, the same thing kind of happens around Elijah and Elisha. This is another set of prophets that the people of the day would know. These are like the famous names, right? Moses, Elijah. And in this story in 2 Kings, again, God provides bread. There is too many people to feed. There's not enough food. God provides the bread. So when people talk about Jesus as a prophet, it's so important that we hear people say, one greater than Moses is here, one greater than Elijah is here, because they did these miracles, but Jesus himself is the miracle. So when he talks about bread, he's not just talking about, I'm gonna break this bread for you right here. He's not talking about the miracles he did. He's saying that he is God. He is the provider. This thing that is essential for human beings to live, Jesus says of himself. He says, I am essential for living. In John 6, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You see, one of the greatest things we have as human beings is a hunger and a thirst for more. It's why we seek all kinds of things in jean jackets and relationships and sports teams and promotions. We're seeking because we're hungry and thirsty for life. It is an essential element, just like food is an essential element. And Jesus himself says, just like bread is essential for living, I am essential for your life. You will be satisfied in me. All of these things that you're seeking, you will find satisfaction in me. It is the ultimate plot twist. They thought he was a prophet who could do miracles, but he is the God of miracles. They thought he would redeem Israel, but he redeems the whole world. They thought he maybe was alive. He's alive today and with us. The risen Christ is alive today, still moving, still acting, still walking with people, still bringing people into relationship with him. This is who our God is. It is the ultimate plot twist. The difference between this moment and that moment, four days before when he was at Passover with his disciples, the difference was his resurrection and his life, taken, broken, and given to us. Scripture says their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us and opened the scriptures for us? And I don't know if you've had that moment where your heart is warm for Jesus. I don't know if that moment was a long time ago or recently, but there's something that happens when we encounter the risen Christ. There's something that happens when we say, yes, I will believe in faith. That what Jesus can do through his Holy Spirit is open up for us his scripture and our life in a way that helps us see, oh God, you were always there. You were always there. You were always moving. You were always acting in my pain and in my struggle. You have been with me. And my bias was toward believing that I'm the one who has to do this. I've got to satisfy my own hunger. I've got to satisfy my own thirst. And Jesus comes in and says, I have always been there. I am the bread of life. I will satisfy those longings within you. So what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us today? Jesus meets us on our life journey. He allows things to patiently unfold. They may have spent years following him. These men spent years following him and they didn't fully know him until this point. And that seems okay with Jesus. It's the resurrected Jesus in his glory that changes everything. 
So if you're here and you're following Jesus, you're a believer, I think one of the things that I feel convicted about in this passage that I wanna be more about is that I believe God is giving us opportunities to meet with people along their road, to be one of those people walking alongside of others on their road. And I'm wondering if you can be a friend who points them to Jesus. So my daughter's been in this academic competition for the last few weeks, well, for the last year, but the last few weeks it's heated up. She's in this competition where they discuss nuanced issues of the day, nuanced issues in our country. And I love that one of the things that they really strive to do is that while they're talking to the judges, there's a team of four, one of the things that they often say is, I respectfully disagree with my colleague. And then they'll sort of take another tack. So I respectfully disagree with my colleague, John, because last week he said to you guys that fact Facts don't transform people. And in some ways, I believe that is true. I don't think facts transform people. But I do think as believers, understanding the facts is a super important foundation of our faith. That if Jesus is the one who says, hey, I can explain to you the scriptures and how I appear from beginning to end, don't you think as followers of Jesus, it would behoove us? It would be important for us too? To be like, I wanna know the foundations of my faith. I want to understand, yes, I maybe have had, a, I've had an experience that's transformed me, but after that, or within that, or in that, there's also this call for us to be responsible to understand the doctrine that we follow. That's why we have a whole discipleship track here, is because we don't think that this is enough for you to understand your faith, that there's more to it when it comes to transforming our lives and following Jesus. So one of the takeaways I think for today can be, hey, where are you in this? Like maybe this just lights you up again to really wanna read the Bible and really understand the stories because Jesus himself says right here that the Old Testament is important and that understanding sort of the roots and the foundation of our faith is actually important to the story. I love this quote by N.T. Wright. It's kind of long, but I'm gonna put it up here for you guys. It says, put it this way. If your idea of God, if your idea of salvation offered in Christ is vague or remote, your idea of worship will also be fuzzy and ill-formed. The closer you get to truth, the clearer becomes the beauty, the more you will find worship welling up within you. That's why theology and worship belong together. The one isn't just a head trip, and the other isn't just emotion. We actually, the foundation of our faith is both head and heart coming together. To truly know God involves foundation, feeling head and heart. So as followers of Jesus, you can take that today. And if you don't know where you are in your journey, if you're on the journey, I want you to know that God knows and wants you to keep hungering and thirsting and seeking Because when you hunger and thirst and when you wrestle and when you seek, that's where we find Jesus. Jesus will be revealed to you as you continue to seek him out. The way your life unfolds up to this point might surprise you, but he will be there. And Jesus does not come by force. There are many, many stories that people have told about encountering Jesus today. And there's many stories in this room people that you might be with, people that you might know, you can ask them about how they found Jesus. But one of the things I love is how often Jesus shows up as a persistent, gentle presence. And yes, of course, he does show up like with fireworks in some people's lives, and those stories get told a lot. But there's a lot of other stories where Jesus is just this persistent, gentle presence. Author Anne Lamott talks about Jesus as a stray cat who just wouldn't seem to leave her apartment until she finally said, yes, you can stay. 
Author Lauren Winner talks about her transformation to orthodox. She was an orthodox Jew. She, she, in her hunger and thirst for truth, she actually converted to orthodox Judaism. And then she had a, a dream where she was a mermaid and Jesus like appeared in the ocean and truly she became a Christian from that dream. There's just all these ways that Jesus appears in our story. And so we're gonna close our time today with a story, just a quick video. I'll tell you a little bit of setup for this. And I, and I chose this story because of how kind of normal the story is in the sense of the way that Jesus shows up. This guy's name is Ryan Reese. He was managing a skateboarding brand. He was partying for like 10 years around the world. He is all about big experiences. He had lived his whole life hungering and thirsting for these big emotional experiences. He's on heroin, he's on crack, he's on alcohol. He's just seeking more and more of that high. And he has this experience where he, he overdoses in his hotel room. His friends find him. And so he comes around, but he's, he's really shaken by his own experiences and by what's happening to the people around him as he lives out this experience. So I'm gonna have us pick up and we'll watch the last couple minutes of his story. And I remember going, well, okay, well, what, what can I do now? I said, I need to like read the Bible, right? And I started looking through the, the Panama drawers. There has to be a Bible in the hotel room. They have Bibles all over the world. I'd always see them. And I'd always be like, yeah, you know? I open it up, there's a blue Bible there. It's a Gideon Bible, pull it out. I'd start reading it. I was waiting for this supernatural experience. You know, I've taken a lot of drugs. I've seen a lot of stuff. And I thought that God was going to show up in his heavenly glory with angels and whatnot. But that didn't happen. So I got the Bible. I stole it from the hotel. I put it in my backpack, got on the plane. And I was surrounded by all the skate team. And they were looking at me. And they must have been tripping because they're like, this guy, is a, he lives his life like a pirate. And I just remember looking at him saying, you know what? If God's real, I'm going to find him because he's in this book. This is God's word. So I just read that Bible, that Gideon Bible, for six hours straight all the way to LAX. And I remember I landed, and I just had peace in my life for the first time in my life, I think. I just felt peace. The next morning, I wake up. I hear this song singing through my head. I remember just getting up out of my bed. I opened my eyes, and I, was just, and I hear the song singing. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in him. And it kept repeating over and over. It's like this little song. I'm tripping out at this point, And I'm like, I got to call my dad. My dad's a Christian. He could tell me what this means. I call him up. I'm like, hey, dad. I'm like, dude, I gave my life to the Lord in Panama City. You know, I'm coming off drugs. I got, I, I have a, a, a heroin addiction, smoking crack, and using a lot of cocaine and drinking a lot. And I said, but I gave my life to Jesus in the hotel room. But the problem is I woke up this morning and I hear the song singing through my head. This is the day the Lord has made. And he said, Ryan, that's the Holy Spirit and God is calling you and he has a plan for your life. And at that point, I knew that God was real. The kingdom of God is a place of joy and righteousness and peace. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you come in a million different ways into our lives. And that sometimes you come with fireworks and supernatural experiences, but a lot of times you come through a gentle whisper, through the encouragement of a friend, 
simply through your word, through us reading your word. And God, we thank you that we are all living testimonies to the fact that you are risen and that you are real. And that Father God, you are seeking those who will seek you and that you promise us if we seek you, we will find you if we seek with our whole heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.